Well, good evening, brothers and sisters. It's great to be gathered here together as the family of Christ. Since I became a father to at least three daughters, I've had to learn a lot about princesses and castles and royal kingdoms. Perhaps you, like my family, have read the Chronicles of Narnia or the longer Lord of the Rings, or maybe just watched one too many Disney movies or taken a trip to the Magic Kingdom yourself. Have you ever wondered what makes the fantasy genre a thing? Why is it so interesting and enduring? What is it that makes these tales so captivating to our imagination? Perhaps it's the, the setting, often a timeless land of magic and enchantment and wonder. Or maybe it's the characters, colorful knights and wizards, witches, kings, princesses, all clearly aligned with the sides and forces of good or of evil. Or maybe it's the hero's journey, the underdog who struggles and overcomes their fear, rises to save the day. Do you ever get swept up in tales of adventure? Why? Well, what if such stories are in fact more than simply escapist entertainment? Perhaps, just perhaps, they reflect our need for wonder and redemption and belonging that our regular life simply can't offer. It was J.R.R. Tolkien who suggested to C.S. Lewis this powerful suggestion that helped convert him to Christ. What if the Jesus of the Bible is the one true story to which all other myths of our civilization are but mere imitations, just pointing the way? Brothers and sisters, we are not made to simply be satisfied by the things of our world. Our creator has imprinted on us a desire for a better kingdom, a transcendent kingdom, a timeless place where each of us can become all that we were created to be. This morning from Psalm 72, we heard of Solomon's desire to see this kingdom. Even having all the wisdom and riches that the world could offer, Solomon was breathlessly eager for a better day, one in which this world would be ruled by a far greater king. He's excited. Is your heart excited? Let's take a closer look at the nature of this promised kingdom. Please now turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. It can be found on page 855 if you're using one of the Pew Bibles. Luke begins his gospel with the account of the angel Gabriel appearing before Zechariah in the temple and foretelling the birth of John. Then, the angel visits Mary and heralds the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah, the promised seed of David. Here, in this proclamation beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, we get a glimpse of the nature of Christ's coming order. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. What glorious news this must have been for Mary. And what glorious news it is for us. Though Christ's reign was inaugurated in his victory over sin and death at Easter, this promise still points forward to a glorious day yet to come. Someday soon, very soon perhaps, 
Christ's kingdom will be fulfilled when he returns in judgment to the earth, gathers his elect, ends sin and death, and makes all the broken things of this world new again. Let's briefly consider three aspects of this coming kingdom. Christ's endless reign, Christ's endless dominion, and Christ's endless righteousness. First, Christ's endless reign. From here, in Luke, at the beginning of the gospel, before Jesus was even born, we learn how the story is going to end. Perhaps Luke should have issued a a spoiler alert. Surprise! There is no end. This kingdom will last forever. This is plain from verse 33 where we're told, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, this is reinforced in many other prophecies about the Messiah. Psalm 72, verse 17 from this morning says, May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. Well, that's, that's a long time. 2 Samuel chapter 7 says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So Christ's kingdom will not fade, it will not rust, diminish, nor age. How many of our hopes and fears are bound up worrying about the future? I know mine are. We're always busy, time's finite, so we have to budget it, manage it, save it. We don't know how much time we have, so we're anxious about fitting in all the things we hope to see and learn and do. Being boxed in by time is part of our mortal nature. Finiteness as earthly creatures. So why can't we just accept it? Why do we yearn and desire for more? Because God. Because God, in his providence, made mankind in his image and gave us an immortal spirit. We were created suited for a different environment, not this passing world of decline and decay, but someplace eternal. C.S. Lewis wrote, There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilization, these are merely mortal. And their life is, as to ours, a life of a gnat. Brothers and sisters, we were created for an eternal kingdom, an endless kingdom of life and glory with Christ. Time has no authority over Christ or his kingdom. Time is powerless to contain it or restrain the reign of Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. Second, let's turn and consider Christ's endless dominion. Where is Christ's kingdom and what is he ruling over? Christ's kingdom is over all the earth. Psalm 78 verse 8 says, And may he have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. There are no borders to Christ's kingdom, for there can be no rivals. Nature provides no boundaries that limit his dominion. He will be king over all the face of the earth. In fact, his reign continues yet onward and outward to include the whole universe. Genesis teaches that all of nature has been marred by our sin and awaits its restoration. Paul tells us in Romans 8, the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So Christ's dominion stretches across time and across space, yet it extends further still and includes all the heavenly and spiritual realms. Every corner of the created order will be subject to Christ's dominion. But what about us? 
Perhaps the darkest corner of creation is inside our human heart. Will Christ's reign include every person? Who are these subjects of the house of Jacob? Jesus himself answers this in Matthew chapter 25. Beginning in verse 31, Jesus explains, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit in his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But that does not mean that everyone will be permitted to enter his kingdom. And those who are banished will weep and mourn for all eternity. I want to enter that kingdom, into Christ's eternal place of peace and joy and delight. I want to drink from the river of life flowing from his throne to behold the glory of the matchless king. What must we do to enter in? Well, let's examine Christ's endless righteousness. Looking again at chapter 1, in verse 32, we see Jesus is given the throne by the Lord God. Jesus is the Holy One, the Son of God. His very name means Savior. He has all power and all authority given to him by God the Father. Gabriel's saying, get excited, Mary. This is not just a good king, but the perfect king. This morning, Psalm 72 began by highlighting the Savior's righteousness. Give the King your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal Son. May He judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May He defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. This message harkens back to the many other hope-filled promises of a righteous and just Messiah. Let me just cite one more from the book of Isaiah. In chapter 9, the prophet declares, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of Peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So in summary, a kingdom of peace, justice, and righteousness all without end. The problem is we don't belong. We've betrayed our king. We failed to steward Eden. We failed to keep God's edicts. We failed to love the light more than the dark. We're rebels and traitors, sentenced unto judgment, but for God. God, to secure our place with him, paid the ultimate price. Victory over sin cost him everything. The blood of his precious son, murdered by the very rebels he had come to save. But in laying down his life as a ransom, Christ more than overcame. He earned the title King of King and Lord of Lords. 
He now offers us the chance not just to be subjects, but to be adopted children of the Father, royal co-heirs enthroned with Christ. But he does not impose his will upon us. We must freely choose our loyalty. We must freely submit to his lordship. We must therefore strive in the power of God's Holy Spirit to enter in by this narrow gate. So, tell your children, tell your friends, your co-workers, before it's too late. Nothing could be more important. The story coursing throughout the Bible is the story of Christ. And it's truly an epic tale. A baby born to a humble mother in a stable has a hidden identity. He's sent on a special mission by God. He faces fiery supernatural trials and temptations. Joining him in this adventure is a misfit band of brothers who struggle to come to terms with the enormity of this quest. And though all hope seems lost at one point, it's actually the heroic act of self-sacrifice by which the evil serpent's defeated. The true identity of the hero is revealed, and our king has to leave, but not before promising that he loves us and he's coming back for us. And that's not even the best part. The best part is what comes next. We can scarcely conceive of the wonder of the coming kingdom of Christ and his endless reign and dominion and righteousness. John's revelation in chapter 21 gives us a divine glimpse, a foretaste. There John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And then I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard with a loud voice from before the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I love that God says, Write this down. This is the best part, John. You don't want to miss this. It's the ending of the greatest story ever told. Praise God, it's also a true story. And deep down inside, we all know it. We're all inwardly longing for a home in this transcendent kingdom. No matter how mankind tries to ignore or suppress the truth, little shafts of light break through the darkness, even in our secular culture. In his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis described it thus, The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust in them. It wasn't in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the sense of a flower that we've not found. The echo of a tune we've not heard. News from a country we've not yet visited. So, the next time you share a fable with your little princes or princesses, squint your eyes. Strain your ears for the notes of the gospel. Tell them why, yes, this is actually based on a true story. And here's the best part. Upon the word of God, we will all live happily ever after. Now, please join me in prayer. Father God, you are the awesome and matchless king, the true ruler over all creation. 
We praise you for your endless mercy and grace that you continue to shower upon us. Thank you for sending your Son to rescue us from the wrath and judgment that we deserve. We cannot fathom your endless love through which you've adopted us as your children and made us heirs with Christ. Fix our eyes upon you and fill our hearts with excitement at your coming kingdom. Prepare us for the day when the Lord of Lords returns in power and greets us face to face. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray in the mighty and majestic name of Jesus Christ and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.